Hello and welcome to the What Does It Say podcast. In this podcast so far, we've been looking at the book of Job. Today we're going to be looking at Job chapter 3. Now, if you've been following along with the other episodes, you know where we are in the story. There are seemingly two trials in the book of Job, or you could also say two phases of one trial. The first trial, or the first phase, is chapter 1, in which Job, this righteous man who is described in chapter 1, verse 1, as being a man who was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. And this man, Job, in the first five verses of this book, is described as the greatest of all the men of the East at the end of verse number 3. But even though Job is the greatest man of the East, Satan comes before the Lord in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. And God seemingly sets up Job to be tried by Satan through the power and authority of God. And the reason why God sets Job up to be tried is because God wants to prove a point to Satan and to us. The whole book fringes upon the question that Satan asks in chapter 1 and in verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing? And so the whole book is filled and focused on this one verse. Will Job, will Job serve the Lord whether he's blessed or whether he suffers? Are there righteous people who are willing to suffer for the Lord and suffer for the sake of righteousness, even if it doesn't benefit them anything? And so in this first trial, in this first phase, in chapter 1, when Job loses his, his children, his possessions, and all but a few servants, Job falls down on his face, face and worships the Lord. And in chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And in chapter 2, Satan comes before the Lord again. And Satan says, You know, God, if you just let me touch his body... If you just let me hurt him physically, then he'll curse you to your face. And so God permits him to be able to curse uh, Job physically, but he's not allowed to kill him. Satan must keep Job alive, but anything else goes. And so Satan immediately goes and hits Job with boils. Job's wife seemingly turns against the Lord. And Job sits in the ashes, scraping his body, scraping the boils, trying to find any sort of relief. And at the end of chapter 2, Job has a few friends. Three, in fact, who are named. The first, his name is Eliaphaz, in, chapter, in verse 11. Eliaphaz the Timnite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namanite. The Namathite. And so they come together to comfort Job. Now later in the book, we're going to be introduced to a fourth friend or a fourth person. And his name is Elihu. And Elihu is going to pop up in chapter 32. 
At the end of chapter 31, after Job gives his final message to his friends, at the end of chapter 31 it says, Now all the words of Job are ended. And so chapter 32 starts with Elihu, who has been waiting patiently, who has been listening to all the arguments, but now he speaks up. And so perhaps these three friends in chapter 2, they come to Job and perhaps sometime while they're there waiting seven days and seven nights, sitting with Job in silence, just trying to comfort him. Perhaps Elihu walks up and sits down. Or maybe he's with the three friends on the journey in the first place. Perhaps he's part of the appointment and just not named. But anyhow, anyway, Elihu comes and joins the friends and Job before chapter 3. And so today we're going to be looking here in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Afterward, after these seven days and seven nights, in chapter 2, verse 13, afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish in which I was born, on which I was to be born, and the night which said, A boy is conceived. May that day be darkness. Let not God above care for it nor let night shine on it. Let darkness and black gloom claim it. Let a cloud settle on it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful shout enter it. Let those who curse it curse the day, who prepare who are prepared to arouse, to rouse Leviathan. Let the stars of its twilight be darkened. Let it wait for light, but have none. Let it not see the breaking dawn, because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes. After these seven days and seven nights of sitting in silence, after chapter 1, where Job is just holding on to his integrity, and in chapter 2, it says that in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, after these seven days and seven nights of this second trial, the second phase of Job's suffering, he finally begins to break. And now we see Job frustrated with his situation. At first, things were manageable. You know, he had lost his possessions and his children and servants, and his wife had uh, seemingly turned on the Lord and tried to get him to curse God. Things seemed manageable. He could hold on. Perhaps he thought that this stuff wouldn't last very long. Perhaps he thought God was going to come to the rescue quickly. He's suffering right now, but then God, he's going to come quick and restore his life. But now, after seven days and seven nights, Job is frustrated. Because now things are really getting hard. Reality is setting in. And perhaps doubt and questions on whether God's really going to help him or not have begun to set in. And it says in verse 1 that Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He cursed his birthday. 
He wishes he had never been born. If he hadn't been born, he wouldn't have to suffer so cruelly, so horribly. Things wouldn't be so bad. If he wasn't born, he wouldn't have to live. And if he didn't have to live, he wouldn't have to suffer. And so Job's birthday is no longer a special occasion in which he could celebrate uh, the day that the Lord brought him into life. No, it's one that he regrets ever happening. Birthdays are normally one of our favorite days of the year. It's a day that we can celebrate being born, and perhaps we get some gifts, and you know, family comes over, or friends come over, and we just have a great time. But Job's birthday has turned into a day he wishes never happened. Job wishes that he was never born. If only it could have stayed night. If only my day could never have come. If only the sun never rose on his day. If only it stayed night. He says, again in verse 3, Let the day perish on which I was to be born, and the night which said a boy is conceived, May that day be darkness. Let not God above care for it. He wishes God would have never let that day happen. He wishes God would have just rejected that day and not cared about that day. And he just wishes he was never born. Because if he was never born, then he would never have to deal with all this pain and all this suffering and all the problems that come with being a righteous man. He wouldn't have to deal with all the problems that come from being a human and being born, and being alive. Job wishes that his birthday had just stopped his mother from giving birth. Did you notice that in verse 10? He's cursing the day of his birth, and he says in verse 10, because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide troubles from my eyes. Job wishes his day of birth would have just stopped his mother from giving birth. If his day had never come, he would never have been born and go through all this suffering. Pain and grief and trials and suffering, they leave us hurting and miserable. Have you or anybody you've ever known felt like Job? They just wish that their lives never happened. They just wish that they would just died in the womb. They would never have been born. Have you ever been there or known somebody like that? Where the pain is just so great. That being one of the unborn seems more pleasant than being alive. And perhaps... Job's wishes here are somewhat selfish. Because if you think about Job and his life, in chapter 31, verses 16 through 23, he there explains all the things that he's done for other people, how he's helped them. And yet here, He wishes he was never born. 
And so perhaps somewhat his wishes for not to not have been born are selfish and that he's only thinking about himself and how much he's suffering, how much he's hurting, and he's not thinking about all the good that he's been able to do from being righteous and from being blessed by God in the past. But the truth is that in the midst of suffering, we often proclaim extremes. We go to the far extreme, that when I'm hurting, when I'm suffering, I forget all the things that I've been able to do for the Lord. I forget, I've forgotten about all the good. And I only think about how I'm suffering, how I'm hurting, how God's hurting me. I'm not thinking about how I can help other people. Oftentimes when we're suffering, we ask the question, why? In the majority of the book of Job, that's the question Job's asking. God, why have you turned on me? Why am I suffering? What have I done? But what Job doesn't ask is how. Why puts the focus on me? Or puts the focus on the fact that I'm hurting. Why am I hurting? Why am I suffering? Why are you doing this to me, God? Puts the focus on me. But when I ask the question how, How can I serve the Lord? How can I glorify God? How can I make the best of my situations? The focus is no longer about me and what's going on in my life, but it's about how can I be a servant? How can I serve the Lord? It puts the focus away from me and my pain. It puts the focus on other things. And so while the question why is inherently can be selfish and self-centered, how can bring us joy And it can bring us close to the Lord through our abilities to serve other people and serve the Lord. More so than just sitting in the ashes asking why. Verse 11 says, Why did I not die at birth? Come forth from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me? And why the breast that which I suck? For now I would have been lain down and been quiet. I would have slept then. I would have been at rest. With kings and with counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves. Or with princes who had gold or were were filling their houses with silver. Or like a miscarriage which is discarded. I would not be. As infants... They never saw light. There the wicked cease from raging. And there the weary are at rest. The prisoners are at ease together. They do not hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there. And the slave is free from his master. Why is there light given to those, to him who suffers? And life to the bitter of soul. Who long for death, but there is none, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures. Who rejoice greatly, and exult when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? My groaning comes at the sight of my food. And my cries pour out like water. For what I fear comes upon me. 
and what I dread befalls me. I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. And I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. Job begins by again He begins by examining the thought that if he just had to have been born, why couldn't he have just died as a newborn, as an infant, as a baby? Why couldn't he have just died? Why doesn't his mother just reject him as a child? That's what Job wants. If I have to be alive, why couldn't I have been just rejected by my mother? Why couldn't they just let me die? Because death to him seems better than suffering. Job saw death as rest. That if he would have just died, he could have just been relaxing in the grave and Sheol with all these other groups of people. And that to him would have been better than life and suffering. Now, as we've stated before, there are questions on if Job really knew anything about the afterlife. Here he talks about the grave. But does Job know that there's going to be a coming judgment? Does Job know that there's a chance for him to go to heaven if he stays righteous, stays faithful? Does he know that there's going to be a day that comes when the Lord is going to vindicate him and bring the righteous home to be with him? To be with God. There's questions. And perhaps the answer to the questions that some people have is no, Job does not understand the afterlife. And perhaps part of the reason why we come to that conclusion is based on what he says, but also based on the significance of his suffering. If Job really knew that there was going to be a coming judgment, if Job really knew that God would vindicate him one day and judge the wicked, why would he be so upset? And why would he feel so rejected by the Lord? Why wouldn't he just say, I'm hurting right now and I don't understand why, but I'm going to hold on to my righteousness and wait for God to come on judgment day and vindicate me? Why does he spend the book looking to the coming judgment on the day when he knows that God will vindicate him? Why does he spend so much time just wanting God to just let him speak with him? Why does he pray so much that God would let him bring his case before him? Why won't he just wait? And so there are questions that people have. and Perhaps Job does not know about the afterlife. But either way, Job here sees death as rest. That being dead and being unconscious and being in Sheol where he doesn't have to be alive is better than suffering. Because in death, Job could just be all peaceful. And he could rest with the great men of the past and the less great men. Because in death, we're all equal. 
Solomon will talk about in the book of Ecclesiastes that those who are wise and those who are foolish both die the same. In the, de- in the grave and death, we're all equal. And to Job, death meant rest. No suffering, no work. It just sounds like paradise to a suffering man like Job. Has death ever been appealing to you? Is Job suicidal? Not in the sense of how we use the term. Yes, Job very clearly wants to die. But Job is not willing to take matters into his own hands. Job is not willing to kill himself. If Job was suicidal in the sense of what we think, Job could have ended his own life and sought for that rest himself. But he doesn't seek rest for himself in the grave in a way where he would hurt himself. No, he just wishes he could be dead. Job is not suicidal, though he wishes he would just die. Perhaps he wants God to be the one to release him from the pain and suffering of life. And so in verse 20, it says, Why is light given to him who suffers, and life to the better of soul, who long for death, but there is none, and dig for it as for hidden treasures, who rejoice greatly and exult when they find the grave? Job is upset that God has blessed people who are suffering with life. The very people who want to die are the ones God seems to keep around a little bit longer. Because in Job's mind, life itself just means suffering. There's nothing in life but suffering in the mind of Job. And Job wishes he could die so badly. He's looking for it so greatly. His search is so great that he's looking to die harder and stronger than he would if he was looking for diamonds or for gold. Have you ever sought something that extreme? That you put in more effort and more work and more mind and more heart into searching for something than you would for money. What are you willing to work harder for than money? That's how hard Job's working for death. It is so valuable to him to die, to find that rest. He's willing to search for it more and harder than he would for gold, for diamonds. We need to search for the Lord as hard as Job searches for death. What if we put that much effort and time and mind into searching for something that really had substance, that really mattered? What if we search for the Lord as hard as what we'd search for for money? If we were willing to work this hard for money, are we willing to search and serve the Lord more than that? 
If the bar is here for earthly wealth and for earthly treasures and for earthly relief, how much more should we be putting in effort for heavenly ones? Job sees the day of his death as the day of his rejoicing. Because in verse 22, he's searching for it. And when he finds the grave at the end of verse 22, he says, exalt. Who rejoice greatly and exalt when they find the grave. The emotions for Job are flipped from the average person. Normally your birthday is a day of rejoicing and gladness, and the day of death is sadness and depression. But really in Job and his suffering here, it's reversed. That The day of his birth is the day of regret and sadness. The day of his death is rejoicing. And Job feels as, go, as though... Job feels as though God has hedged him into suffering. Isn't that what Satan said about God? Uh, about what Satan said about how God was hedging Job in with blessings? Look at chapter 1 and in verse 10. Satan answered the Lord in verse 9, and then in verse 10 he continues by saying, Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. And so in chapter 1, Satan says that God has had Job in with all these blessings and all this protection. But now Job feels in chapter 3 that God has hedged him into suffering, the very opposite of what God had been doing in the past. Have you ever felt like, the Lord or other people have turned their back on you. That you've been trying to live righteously and yet everything seems to be falling apart. What do you do? What do you do when everything seems to not go your way? When you've been trying to follow the Lord and yet it just doesn't seem to be working. Are the righteous willing to suffer? Are the righteous willing to suffer for the sake of righteousness? Are we willing to serve God no matter if He blesses us or not? Are we willing to serve the Lord whether things are great for us or things are hard? Are we only willing to serve the Lord because He's hedged us in with blessings? Or are we willing to serve the Lord even when we feel like it's only causing pain? And although Job will begin soon to cry out and say some things against the Lord that he should have just kept his mouth shut about, even though he says some sinful things, Job will not turn on the Lord. He will not give up his righteousness. He will stay faithful to the Lord through all these sufferings. He's not willing to kill himself. He's not willing to give up. And he's not willing to curse God and die. And although he does say some things against the Lord, 
He will hang on to his integrity. He will not turn his back on the Lord. He will continue to wait on him. And so Job says in verse 26, and in verse 24, he is so depressed. And in verse 25, all of the fears that he's had have come upon him. You can imagine as a parent being fearful of what could happen to your children. Job in chapter 1 was afraid that his children might curse God and sin in their eating and drinking with their, with their siblings. And so Job would offer a sacrifice for them. You can imagine all the uh, all the things you'd be worried about as a parent. All those things came true. And all the things of being a businessman, as being uh, an owner of a business like 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 Job, who owns you know livestock and sheep and camels, all his possessions. All the stress that had come from managing all of his servants and being worried about them, perhaps. All of that has come true. He's lost everything. So all that he feared has come upon him. And in verse 26, it says, I am not at ease. There are going to be some times that being righteous is going to cause us to be stressed. They're going to cause us to be to be at war inside because we have questions that don't have answers. There are going to be times that being righteous is going to mean that I don't have it easy. Is being righteous worth giving up ease and comfort? Am I just trying to live like the world, trying to get everybody to like me, everyone to accept me, everyone to appreciate me? Am I trying to live my life so that nothing's ever hard for me? I'm always looking for the easy way out, the easy path. Or am I willing to suffer so that I could be righteous in the sight of God? So Job, in all of his suffering and all of his pain, says, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. Job is going to tell us but all of his suffering. Job is suffering, and he's going to tell you about it. He will not stay silent. And so really, the book of Job asks us the question, why do the righteous suffer? If I'm righteous, shouldn't that mean the Lord blesses me? That would be the logical conclusion and a lot of the times, yes, being righteous means that I will be blessed. Now, that should not be the reason why I am righteous. I should be righteous because I'm trying to serve the Lord. But it is true that the Lord wants to and will bless those who are righteous. But the reason why the righteous suffer sometimes is not because of sin. But because the Lord wants to use our sufferings as a way to glorify Him. Because the Lord wants us to use our suffering times as times where we can glorify Him 
while we suffer. If Job had never suffered, the book would have only been five verses long. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. But because Job endures all these sufferings, and because the Lord is trying to use Job to glorify him in the end, that, the, that Job, God is trying to use Job to glorify God, in the end, Job is able to glorify him through his sufferings. And God is able to use Job to be a light to us. That while we suffer, if we hold on to our integrity, we can glorify God while we suffer. Because you see, sometimes the way we can glorify God is by suffering. And in our suffering, continuing to be faithful to Him. If the world sees us who are Christians, if they see us suffering because we are determined to be righteous, that can be a way for the world to see how committed we are to the Lord, how much the Lord means to us, and that can be a light to them to bring them to God. If every time a Christian suffered, he turned his back on God, what, would that, what message would that send to those in the world? It would send the message that God is just not worth serving unless he's blessing you. Or perhaps that Christians are not as committed to God and to righteousness as what they claim to be. But if we're willing to suffer and continue to stay faithful, we can send a message of, no, God is worthy of our devotion. God is real. God is true. And we do care. And the righteous are willing to suffer for the sake of being righteous, no matter if we know whether God will bless us or vindicate us here on this earth in the end. If only Job saw his suffering this way, if only Job saw his suffering as a way to glorify the Lord. But in fact, he only really sees it as pain. Suffering is pain to Job. Not a way to glorify God. Not a way to grow. He only sees it as a negative. And the truth is, that's sometimes how we see pain in this life. We only see suffering. That suffering is painful. And that's all. But the New Testament in James chapter 1 and in Romans chapter 5, the Bible tells us that suffering, in fact, should be joyous. In James chapter 1, James says to rejoice in suffering. Look over there at James chapter 1 with me. In James chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Was Job in a trial? Yes. But what he failed to do was to consider it all joy. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says that we need to rejoice in suffering and to find joy in suffering because suffering and trials help us become stronger and more perfect and better Christians. Because when I go through hard things, I learn and I become better because of them. 
suffering has lessons. And if I'm willing to look and to see the lessons, I can grow and become better because of them. And if we learn to see suffering and trials the right way, then the emotions found in suffering, the sadness, the depression, the grief, the anxiety, the woe is me, those emotions can be changed. They can be turned. And they can be turned from being negative to being positive. Because our emotions can be changed from suffering and hurting to rejoicing and holding fast to our hope in the Lord. Look over with me in Romans chapter 5. This will be our last passage on this episode. Romans chapter 5. And verse 3 says, And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. See, our trials, we can exalt in them because they're bringing about perseverance because when I continue to suffer, I become stronger. And when I become stronger, I'm proving my character that I am willing to suffer. I am willing to go through hard things because I am really dedicated to the Lord. I am the good soil in Mark chapter 4. I'm not a rocky soil. I'm not the thorny soil. I'm the good soil who's willing to suffer. And when I'm willing to prove my character, when I'm willing to suffer, my proven character produces hope. Because when I continue to persevere through the hard trials, the hard trials will make me think about and focus on heaven. That's where I'm going if I continue to serve the Lord no matter what. Verse 5, And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given who was given to us. Hope does not disappoint. If we are willing to see suffering as a way to glorify the Lord, then our depression and our anxiety and our pain can be turned to rejoicing. Thank you so much for listening to chapter three of Job, Lord willing. In our next episode we will examine Job chapter 4. Have a blessed rest of your day.